BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. So over the weekend, I got to watch one of our KQED reporters, Suki Lewis, on TV. She was on CNN's show called Reliable Sources. Me and one of my colleagues, Alex Emsley, were talking about what was our obligation to get these records and to report on them for our audience. And there really was no other answer than we needed to get all the records. Suki's been collecting records under a new California law that's revealed misconduct within law enforcement departments. In fact, some unions are suing cities and counties to prevent them from releasing these records. So other journalists across the state have joined Suki and KQED to help out. So Suki, tell us the backstory. You know, why do you all decide to, to gather dozens of partners? Today, we're going to give you an update on KQED's California reporting project and the struggle to get a hold of police records. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Can you remind me how many records requests you've submitted to various police agencies? So KQED, Barrier News Group, and Investigative Studios submitted about 450 requests um, to probation departments, state agencies, you know, everyone, pretty much every law enforcement agency in Northern California and all state agencies that employ peace officers. And then now with this larger coalition where we brought in KPCC and the LA Times and the Southern California News Group, we have submitted over 11,000 requests um, to 675 agencies. Damn, that's a lot. Can you tell me which departments in the Bay Area have released records and what they're generally showing, just the variety of things that they're showing? It's really been a mixed bag here in the Bay Area in terms of the departments who have been willing to give us records or able to give us records. Um, We did get our kind of first records out of Oakland a couple weeks ago about the shooting of this man who was asleep uh, with a gun next to him. And they showed this really stark difference between how the internal review of this shooting of this homeless man, Joshua Pollock, the outcome of that, which kind of found no policy violations and no one was fired, and the opinion and review of the federally appointed monitor who said, you know, the officers, two officers who were involved in that should have been fired. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, contradicting. Contradicting. What we heard. Okay. Yes, what we heard. 
and another interesting you know, set of records we just got out of Richmond are starting to give some insight into this wide-ranging sexual misconduct scandal that kind of rocked Bay Area law enforcement agencies two years ago. Yeah. And we had known that officers were disciplined. They would never name them. And also, we didn't know what was the discipline imposed. And that was also interesting and in what it didn't show because it only showed two officers that were disciplined for their participation in this sexual misconduct scandal involving this very young woman named um, Jasmine Abuslin, otherwise known as Celeste Guap. But we know seven other officers in Richmond were disciplined in connection with the case, but we're not getting records for that. So somehow that discipline is defined in a different way that does not open up those records. So should we do the the who's not giving us records list? I would list? love to do the who's <laughs> not giving us records, the naughty list. <laughs> um, I think San Francisco has been recalcitrant as as a agency. The police department, the city has not given us anything. The unions now have sued to block access to records, but there were like two and a half months where it was just extension after extension after extension. They were just kicking it down the road, figuring out what they wanted to do. Our records are so confusing that it's going to take a while to figure this out. That's scary to hear from a police department that our records are so confusing that we can't figure this out for something like this. Yes. And it's kind of surprising, I think, perhaps not to those who you know, report on San Francisco or intimately involved with that. But for the public, perhaps, who see San Francisco as this kind of paragon of, you know, they try to paint themselves as this paragon of transparency. They have been kind of one of the hardest to communicate with and to kind of get updates from and to get records from. How do you feel at this point? You're starting to get records, yet at the same time, it seems like there's, there's a long way to go. Yeah, and I think what I'm most excited about or interested in finding is the patterns. You know, like we've done some of these kind of one-off cases that do shed light, you know, like the the Richmond records that kind of tell us something we didn't know mm-hmm. about this, you know, sexual exploitation scandal. But what I'm really interested in in finding out is kind of patterns of misconduct, seeing what do these records show in a more writ large way and what right. can they tell us about policing in the state of California and police discipline in the state of California are are we asking the right questions when yeah. we are when we are you know reporting on police and also uh, are we talking about reform in the right way and yeah. i think these records have a really you know big potential to help us integrate a kind of new thinking and understanding of policing in california suki thanks appreciate it thank you Earlier this month, KQED joined a lawsuit against California's attorney general, Javier Becerra. Becerra doesn't want the state's Justice Department to release records under the law just yet. Like the police unions, his argument is that the court should weigh in on whether records before 2019 should be released. To really understand how we got to this point, let's revisit the original episode we did about this new law. If you're around a newsroom long enough, then you'll learn from reporters that it's hard to get certain records from police departments, especially when the police are accused of doing something shady. A police officer in our society is in a position of trust. And if we cannot trust our police officers, then our society is going to be undermined. 
A new law went into effect this week that makes it easier to get your hands on certain police records. The law could radically change what we, the public, know about how police departments in California handle police misconduct. I'm Devin Kadayama. Welcome to The Bay. Prior to January 1st, California had the most restrictive, most secretive laws when it comes to access of information about police use of force and police misconduct. This is Alex Emsley. He covers criminal justice for KQED. You're going to be hearing from Alex and from Suki Lewis, another KQED criminal justice reporter. The call for change and for transparency is finally louder and stronger than the effort to conceal and protect the police. In 2010, I was really just starting my uh, journalism career in the Bay Area. That is a pinpoint for me when the sort of the pendulum started to shift back again toward transparency and toward a concern about police use of force. And that was with the shooting of Oscar Grant. And we've been talking a lot about what Oscar Grant's death has meant to the momentum and to the fight for police accountability. Oscar Grant's death was caught on video and had this evidence, and this wasn't by any means the last time we would see police violence caught on video. Out of that tragedy grew a really rare occurrence, which was a prosecution, a criminal prosecution of a law enforcement officer for an on-duty shooting. Breaking news coming in from California. A former transit police officer who is white has just been convicted in the shooting death of an unarmed black man at a BART train station in Oakland, California last year. There have been all these huge national events, you know, Ferguson, the shooting of Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin. Then just this past year, you know, in our state capitol, the shooting of Stephon Clark. And we start with this breaking news, Sacramento police releasing the videos of the officer-involved shooting that killed Stephen Clark. Which has really, you know, hit close to home for lawmakers. It's where they are doing their work. It is time now that we as legislators match that energy and do the right thing by pushing for smart and effective reform. I guess I'm not surprised that Nancy Skinner was the state senator to introduce this bill because she's from Berkeley, and Berkeley is seen as this liberal activist center. SB 1421 lifts 40 years of secrecy. Do we know why Nancy Skinner introduced this bill in particular? In her official statements, it's been public deserves this information, you know, more, more sunlight. Too often, we are left to wonder about investigations on these matters. Were they thorough? Were the officers held accountable? She also made the argument to me that these are public employees. The public pays for these people to do their jobs, and so the public has a right to know how well they're doing them. As we all know, good policing relies on the trust of the community, and the purpose of SB 1421 is to build that trust and to improve public safety. People who are for uh, transparency aren't necessarily anti-police. I, I think that in, in some ways they might be seen as pro-police. They want this incredibly serious work to be treated with the seriousness that it deserves. 
1421 allows public access to specific kinds of police records that have been kept private for decades. We're talking the 1970s. Now, some of these records have already been destroyed depending on the police department's protocols and policies, but there's still a lot of records out there that we've never seen. Let's talk about what's in SB 1421, some of the just specifics of what's, what's covered, what's the range of stuff that we might find. Starting with use of force, any time that a police officer fires their service weapon or any use of force that results in great bodily injury. Another category that's opened up is what's termed official dishonesty. That's when an officer lies in a police report or uh, in official testimony, conceals evidence under color of law. And findings that an officer committed um, sexual assault while on duty. There were multiple committee hearings over uh, this bill in 2018. Senator Skinner, uh, if you would present SB 1421 at your uh, convenience, that'd be great. Thank you so much. Skinner did that, kind of talked about that she, you know, thinks that this is important for establishing trust, uh, transparency. We have such strict restrictions on any access to public records has affected certain communities' trust towards our law enforcement. And then she would usually uh, hand it over to either advocates focused on criminal justice reform, and often, most often... Hi, my name is Yolanda Banks-Reed. ...to the family member of someone who was uh, killed. I'm the mother of Shalim Oshai Tindo. By a, ...by a police officer. Losing a child, having a child's life taken, my son's life was taken January... The 3rd, 2018, by way of a BART police, Joseph Matu, he takes my son's life, the son that I gave birth to, the son that I carried for nine months. Talking about how, you know, X number of years later, they still don't know what happened to their loved one. Not even saying it's it was necessarily justified, unjustified. They don't. They haven't been able to see the evidence that the police department collected in its investigation. And there's been so many mothers that have lost their children and have to go and try to investigate, to get reports, to get statements, and to get the reports of the police that are not accessible to citizens. While this law focuses on misconduct, it also focuses on just getting a greater understanding of what happens when police officers use force. I'd invite the witnesses in opposition to come up. And then the committee would hear from uh, groups who oppose the bill, anybody in opposition. Uh, John Lovell on behalf of the uh, Los Angeles County Professional Peace Officers Association. There's another element of this bill that provides for release of an officer's information where he or she has engaged in conduct that is entirely within policy and is entirely lawful, yet that officer's name goes into the public wheel. The SB 1421 bill passes in August, and a month later, Governor Jerry Brown signs it. How quickly do the police unions and the law enforcement representatives act after the bill is passed 
Well, everything was was pretty quiet for, I don't know, a couple months there. Then on the 18th of December, there was a petition filed with the California Supreme Court requesting an emergency stay that they should hold off on releasing these records on January 1st, which is the date the law goes into effect, making this argument that the law was not retroactive, did not apply to records already in existence, should only apply to records moving forward. What did they fear about this law if it would go into effect the first of the year? Well, I mean, talking, so I talked to Mike Rains, who's the attorney for the San Bernardino Sheriff's Deputies Union that um, he was kind of acting as their counsel in this petition. Immediately when we, we saw the new law, we read it. Uh, we saw that it did not, by its terms, say that it was intended to be retroactive. He says, you know, the intent of the law is clear. Transparency is a great thing. But it wasn't written into the law that it was retroactive. There is nothing in the legislative history that, in fact, says it was intended to be retroactive. There is nothing in the language of the statute itself that says it was intended to be retroactive or retrospective. There is, you know, some practical questions that have also been raised by some, you know, jurisdictions where they're like, this is going to take a lot of time to go back through all these records and redact them and, you know, make them appropriate for, you know, public consumption. And that's going to take resources. Are the police unions also worried that there are things in these documents beyond the scope of what you just mentioned, new cases that we would learn about that would make their departments look really bad. I mean, I think it's kind of not a huge leap to say that is a concern. Um, I think specifically the official dishonesty records could kind of raise questions about past cases that are already closed even. We, We don't know what we don't know that is in these records, but I think anecdotally, we know that there is... Uh, very spotty compliance with uh, the obligation of prosecutors in criminal cases to turn over evidence to defense attorneys, including evidence about the character of police officers who are testifying in the case. Just last week, KQED and a number of other news organizations got involved, including the LA Times, the California News Publishers Association, and the First Amendment Coalition. This group is basically saying that if there needs to be opposition to the police union in court, that they're going to take it on. But so far, they haven't needed to, because this week, the state Supreme Court rejected the police union's petition, which means the law is now in effect. So since this law is passed, it started with a conversation between Suki and I, where we said, as journalists who have worked in this area, you know, what is our role here? We talked about that and could come up with no other legitimate answer than to pursue all of the records from every agency, law enforcement agency in the state, that we possibly can. That's a huge undertaking. I'm guessing millions and millions of pages of documents. So, yeah, it's a lot of work for them to do, to produce them. And a lot of work for you. (laughs) (laughs) We just got to ask for them. That's, that's That's the idea. I feel like there's been a lot of local examples of times when we've heard of police misconduct, haven't had the full story. You know, locally, one of the cases to look at will be, you know, this large scale sexual exploitation scandal that kind of 
rocked all these different Bay Area law enforcement agencies um, involving this woman named Jasmine Abuslin, um, otherwise known as Celeste Guap. And now to developing news in a scandal, sexual misconduct scandal that involves more than half a dozen East Bay law enforcement agencies. The teenager at the center of all of this testified in court. Today you know, a number of officers of were censured or fired. Things happened, but we don't know all the steps that led there. And also many officers are still working. And so getting to see what the process was will you know be very fruitful and very interesting and also because similar set of circumstances in different jurisdictions then we'll be able to compare and see oh that's interesting this is how Richmond is doing it this is how Oakland is doing it this is how Livermore is doing it and get this kind of scope and range of how internal investigations work or don't work. Suki Lewis and Alex Emsley are criminal justice reporters for KQED. You can read stories that have come out of the California Reporting Project at our website, kqed.org. We've also put a link in today's episode notes. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. Talk to you Friday. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night. Knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.